The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Every week in the book of John, we are introducing it in the same way, and that way is this, that each of us comes from a really different place. We come from um, homes of poverty and some of homes of affluence. Some of us come from homes where uh, we were raised with a faith, um, be that the Christian faith or some other faith. Um, From all the places we come from, all the places we were raised, is that Powerade commercial, right? I'm just a kid from somewhere. Um, Like, no matter where we come from, Josh knows. (laughs) He's like, yeah. Um, No matter where we come from, oftentimes because we see maybe someone else connecting with Jesus, we can assume that, that maybe he isn't for me. Maybe we assume that he's so far away, so inaccessible, that Jesus could never reach me. And John is so helpful because if you find yourself in that place, John is God saying, I'm for you. At the very end of the book of John, he says this, these stories are written that you may believe. You, wherever you've come from, no matter who you are, that you can believe That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you can have life in his name. How he proves that and shows that to us is in uh, the first chapter of the book of John, John 1.14, the Message Bible. He says that that, uh, Jesus, the word became flesh. He took on humanity and he moved into our neighborhood. That Jesus became your neighbor to show you how crazy God was about you and wanting you to be in relationship with himself. Wanting to give you true and real life. That's why we're in John. Today we are looking at the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Each of the Gospel stories is written by someone else from a different angle, and yet all of them have this single story. It's the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually a lot more than that because um, it was written back when they only counted men, unfortunately. And so, literally, it's 5,000 guys they counted, but there's, I mean, with all their wives and kids, who knows how large this crowd actually was? 15,000, maybe more than that? Um, and so, the feeding of the 5,000, we get the context, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it with you guys here, just right from the outset, if you want to follow along. Have it here, yes. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Pause with me for a second. So four kind of seems like, verse four, like we're, we're just moving past it really quickly, but, but literally that is going to be the context of all of chapter six. The Passover, looking back to when God had provided a way out for Israel, like their story of independence, right? We're celebrating our Independence Day this weekend. This is kind of their story of independence when God rescued them by his mighty hand from Egypt. And so every year they look back on that, how God provided for them. Okay, um, So that's the context for the whole chapter. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And that's what I'm like, oh, that's cruel. Um, verse 7, Philip answered him, 
it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Peter, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those uh, to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves and left over by those who had eaten After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. Um, We're not going to be there yet. To give you context for this, um, recorded in Mark's gospel, you get what happened before that and the state that the disciples were in as they left to be by themselves by the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And and Mark 6 says this, um, Herod had just beheaded John the Baptist, so one of Jesus' good friends had just gotten killed. And it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then Because so many people were coming and going that they did not have even a chance to eat. So the disciples are hungry, they haven't eaten. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come away with me, let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Tricky. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. So so the context is a challenging one. If we're going to talk about like a common issue that unites all of our hearts as we approach this teaching, it's this. First, we have this incredible test of tiredness. So the disciples and Jesus come and they are they are dog tired. They're at that point where they don't want to see anyone that they don't know, right? Someone comes up and you're just going to be grumpy and you're going to be okay with that, right? That's where the disciples are. Their friend had just died and they don't want to see anybody else and yet this large crowd starts gathering around them. What Jesus sees in this opportunity, and and love him or hate him for this, is he sees an opportunity for discipleship. He sees in this moment of emotional and psychological fragility, an opportunity to teach his disciples something. And that's where you're going, like, just care for me, Jesus. Just, like, hug me, hold me. Just make them all disappear with your magical power, right? But he doesn't do that. What he does is he, he sees them all coming, he welcomes us in, and he, he turns to Philip for a teaching moment, and he tests him. He tests Philip. So, I don't know, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever had a moment of test anxiety, um, that's not a fond memory. I went to that dark place while I was studying for the sermon. I remembered a moment that, that I had forgotten long ago. I was a senior in high school. I was doing Running Start. I was in a history class. There was a pop quiz. I had not read the material. 
I was sitting by this very attractive blonde girl. And I, I had a feeling in my stomach. I don't know if it's ever been there since. It was so bad. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. Okay? <laughs> and I just remember sitting there just like, like frozen. And you, you ever feel like your arms start going numb? And, and you, like, you realize, like, everyone's looking at you, but they really aren't. And you just think, my sins are exposed to the world. Right? Because you know that he's going to read your paper and be like, this student is horrible. He does not value my teaching at all. And that's what was going to happen, because I hadn't read the material. And so Jesus turns to Philip, right, at this moment of psychological and emotional tiredness for Philip. And, and already knowing what he was going to do, he says, where shall we buy bread for these people? Where should we buy bread for these people? Um, before I go into showing you what, what Philip and Andrew are saying and unpacking that a little bit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is what God does. What we see Jesus doing here, this is what God does. God tests people. And this was really good for me studying because I think oftentimes people come to me and they're, they're in um, a hard situation and they'll say, do you think God's testing me? And usually, honestly, my response is like, oh, God doesn't do that. But man, that's usually probably me just trying to like, like avoid a very hard conversation, I'm being honest with you. Because God actually does test people and we see that throughout scripture. And so we're going to look at um, a number of verses, Aaron, if we can pull it up past the John verses. Starting in Genesis, and we're just going to go through um, seven verses here. Genesis 22, 1 through 2. Sometime later, God tested Abram, and he said to him, Abram, here I am, Abram replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show you. He tested Abraham to see where Abraham's heart was at. Exodus 16, 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Deuteronomy 8, 1 and 2, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised and oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. As this is not easy. God will test you and he wants to test you to find out what's in your heart. Jeremiah seventeen ten. the Lord I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to their deeds, what they deserve. Guys, this is not something we talk about very often. These are not things that we like. We like talking about a God who's just like, oh, whatever. It's okay, you're cool. But, but this is giving a very different picture. This is who God is, and this is what God does, because God is concerned with what is actually going on in your heart. God doesn't look at you and he's like, oh, you're fine. Because he knows, he knows that you aren't. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be exposed to the living God, and then to come to him humbly and seek his grace. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. James 1.12, blessed is one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while 
You may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Guys, not only do tests come, but tests are good because if we, were, if we stand the test, they will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So looking back at, at how Philip and Andrew respond to Jesus is helpful because when we read those verses about God looking at the heart and God testing the heart, I think for us, we could maybe have a little test anxiety. I don't, want, I don't want Jesus doing that to me. But when we see here uh, in, in chapter 6 of John, uh, in verse 5, where he tests Philip, and then in verse 7 we see Philip respond, and he asks Philip, this is the interesting thing, he asks Philip, but then Andrew chimes in. And what you get here, I really believe, is two different personality types. Right? You get, and this is really helpful, so you get a real strong left brain, you get a real strong right brain here. Right? So, so Philip, Jesus asked, because he's not going to offer his thoughts willy-nilly. Philip's left brain, right? He assesses the situation very mathematically, very logically. He just analyzes it. He's like, logically speaking, it would take 200 days of wages <laughs> to feed this. And he's like over there calculating it, right? And that's Philip. So, so Philip, left brain, very logical, very linear thinking, uh, just simply sees the problem, addresses it, and is like, well, my computation, Jesus, says that this is impossible, okay? And then Andrew, who, it's funny, in like multiple commentaries I read, they were like, Andrew's just a social butterfly. So Andrew's around, just like meeting people, he's like, like meeting, you know, and, and so he finds this little boy with some bread and fish, and, and he comes back, and, and Philip got asked, but Andrew comes, he's like, I just found this kid with some bread. He just like offers it. He's the artsy, you know, he's just like free-spirited. But both of them come up with the same answer to the test. It's interesting because both one, both the, the very logical, analytical, and the very like daydreamy, feely uh, Andrew, both come up with there's a, limp, there's a lack here. And, and we just don't think we have the resources to make this work Jesus. Right? Because Andrew, he does find something, but at the end of it, he says here, but how far will they go among so many people? But how far will they go? How can what we have actually meet the need that we see? And this is the, this is the test right here. That some of you right now, even in your life, might have things that you see in yourself, the inability to actually meet the need. God's called you to something. There's something at work you've been asked to do. You're overwhelmed at home. And that test of your moral character, your spiritual strength, your faith, your, your ability to even think through and process a situation, you find yourself limited. You find yourself lacking. And you go to God and you say, well, this just can't be done. This is the essential question that is being asked here. Are you still trying to do it by yourself? And the big idea, the big idea that's being shared here is that every test is an opportunity to walk by faith in Jesus. 
So when, when Jesus asked Philip, when Jesus asked Andrew, what do you think we should do? He was giving them an opportunity to go, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Jesus, you know, we have a lack, but Jesus, you're the only one that can supply our lack. What do you think we should do? And so Jesus, in turn, shows them. And, and I want you to imagine this, that you're in the middle of that test with tremendous anxiety. You don't have any idea what to do. And then the teacher, all of a sudden, he goes, okay, everyone stop. And that, that question that's just about made you ready to pee your pants, he, he like starts figuring it out on the whiteboard for you. He goes, this is how you do it. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Right? Philip and Andrew go, we are emotionally we are emotionally and psychologically done, Jesus. And Jesus is like, don't worry, I got this one. And, and so Jesus, what he does is he invites everyone to sit. He invites everyone to the table. And I love this. You get in the sense that, that Jesus is just happy that they're here. He's just happy to like welcome people to the table to sit with him. Up to this point, everything's chaos, Okay, there weren't like tickets sold for this event. There wasn't like a, a schedule of what was going to happen. There wasn't an opening band, right? Like, okay, once you get done, then Jesus is going to walk on and be like, hey, there's bread. Right? That's, not, that's not what's happening. Everyone's just milling about. Like 15,000 people are just here and there's no plan. And so Jesus goes, sit down. Have everyone sit down. And everyone sits down and Jesus works out the problem for them. And this is what he does. If you've got your notes, there's three things. The first thing he does is this, is he remembers with joy, and he's teaching them in this, he remembers with joy that God is in control. He remembers with joy that God is in control. Where do you see that? Because this is what Jesus does. He says, have them all sent down. There was plenty of grass in the place. They sat down. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to them. With joy, remember that Jesus is in control. Jesus' life, all of it, everything that had happened, everything that was currently happening, and everything that would happen, he lived out in joy of the Father's control. And that will transform your life. See, he hadn't even broken the bread yet. He hadn't even seen the miracle through yet. But he'd already given thanks to God for it. Because because no matter what happened, he wanted to take joy in God's absolute control of the situation, regardless of the outcome. And that's that's what he wants to invite us into, is to take joy in the situation, to give thanks for the situation. It's not, it's not a trite prayer before a meal that's just saying, hey, thanks for the grub. He's going, God, I thank you because all these people that I didn't invite that are here, they're here because you called them here. And I just want to give thanks for that. God, I just want you to be glorified in that. No matter what happens, you get the glory. And you see it wasn't him getting the glory because he escapes at the end of it. He just takes off. He goes to the mountains. right? But he just wanted wanted everyone to know that that what had been done was to be giving all glory to the Father. And, And we see this spoken of early 
uh, on. The last sermon we preached in John, in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it says this, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does, yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. The son can do nothing other than what he sees the father doing. But what do we do? What do you and I do? We try all the time to do things by ourselves. And Jesus, very God of very God, doesn't try doing it by himself. With joy, he gave thanks to the father was in control. So why do we try taking control ourselves? Why do we try taking control ourselves of situations? Jesus, figuring it out on the whiteboard for you, says, learn with joy to acknowledge that God is in control. You're not in control. The second thing is this, that there is no lack at the table of God. There's no lack at the table of God. Where Andrew and Philip both assessed the situation, and and all they saw was the insufficiency of what they had, we, we see repeatedly throughout here that there was more than enough, right? There's this incredible um, quote by a guy named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China, and he lived by tremendous faith. God supplied their needs, and there's a quote he says. He says, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply, and, and that doesn't mean it'll be easy. That doesn't mean it will be manna falling from heaven. But God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And we have seen the all-sufficiency of Jesus um, in our life as a church, in our life as a coffee oasis. God has met our needs faithfully. And yet we still stress out. It's crazy. We stress out a lot. And instead of going to God and with joy acknowledging his control, oftentimes we will stress and we'll be anxious. Instead of just going to him and saying, God, this is your work. Let us do it in your way. And we will never lack your supply. Do you see your life being filled with lack and insufficiency? Or do you acknowledge that God has all he needs and will supply all your needs. That's what Jesus wants you to know. There's no lack at the table of God. Sit down and watch him provide. The third thing is this, and this is really powerful, that nothing is wasted. In verse 12, it says, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered, filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Um, Oftentimes when we see that God does not have limit and God has supplied so much and some of us have just received so generously from God, I think sometimes we don't see the sacredness of it all. That all things created by God all have meaning and place. All those things in your life. Some of us, I think even, we, we have so much plenty that we can be careless with what we have. And, and yet God has been very um, purposeful in what he has given. And he wants you to treasure those things and treat them all with absolute care. And I don't think that this miracle 
And the surplus of 12 baskets could possibly happen without everyone seeing a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> and so I, I think, as, as he said, let nothing be wasted, collect them all. I think there's this amazing, where, where Jesus the Messiah is coming and he's coming to gather people to himself. Right? And you see this in, later in John 12, he says, and when I'll be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And what Jesus, I think, essentially is saying here is that none of you are meaningless. I've, I've created you with absolute care and I want to draw you all to myself. I want you all collected. Right? And so in this, God is showing us, Jesus is showing us how to respond to the essential question of what do I do when I have no idea what to do? (laughs) When I'm trying to still figure it out by myself and my life just still doesn't make sense. Well, with joy acknowledge that God is still in control. Remember that there's no lack, that God is not lacking in anything. There's no lack at the table of God. And that God does nothing that he doesn't put absolute care in, <laughs> that he doesn't do with, with tenderness and, and not wanting any of it to fall to the ground. He wants it all to be collected and brought to himself, and he wants your life also to be drawn into himself. What I'm challenged by, and I think what we all should be challenged by, is at the end, the people don't get it. <laughs> this is kind of a common theme in the New Testament and throughout all of Scripture, is um, all they see is that they don't have to trust God. All they have to do is have Jesus, the magic bread maker. And so they want to make him king, so they, don't, they still don't have to figure it out. They still don't have to live by faith. They can just show up. <laughs> and so Jesus sneaks away to the mountain to go back and be with the Father. This says a lot about our heart and our mind. Um, it says that God is, is really invested in what you're feeling, what you're loving, what you're thinking. See, he didn't want just these people to have him as king. He wanted them to have hearts that were right before him. That he, if he tested their heart, he would know that they loved him. Loved him for the God he was, the God who came to save them. Right, to see in him all that he is. And here's an invitation again, really for us to see God for all he is and to respond to that. Uh, a God who's in control, a God that there's no lack in, and a God who says, you are so valuable and I want to draw you into myself. So, so I want to invite us into that today. To admit and acknowledge the treasure that we are to God. To admit that he is in control. And no matter where you find yourself in at work, home, personal life, if you feel emotionally and psychologically drained, with joy admit that he is in control and let him have that over your life. Let's pray. God, so many anxieties and fears we take on, we just let cling to us, um, thinking that it, that is us caring for them. Uh, so sometimes we see our, our lack and we don't acknowledge your great supply. God, help us today just trust you completely, seeing this story an invitation for us to again come to you, 
admit how greatly we are loved by you and that with you, all our needs are met. We love you. Open our hearts to love you more. We praise in Jesus' name, amen.